0: CEO at St. Superyte Estate Vineyards and Winery here in the beautiful Napa Valley. And welcome back to the St. Superyte Sips podcast. We're continuing our series on sustainable seafood. And I'm so excited to have with us today, Chef Stuart Brioza, the chef and co-owner with his lovely wife of State Bird Provisions and the Progress in San Francisco, as well as the Anchovy Bar. So welcome, Chef Stuart. Great to have you here.
1: Well, Emma, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm uh, really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Chef Stewart's a James Beard award-winning chef and restaurateur, a Bay Area native. He grew up in uh, Cupertino and began working in local kitchens at 15. Um, He opened Michelin-starred bird provisions with his wife, Nicole, in 2011, opened the Progress in 2014, also receiving a Michelin star and acclaim for the unique banquet-style dinners and stellar wine program. And in October 2020, Stewart and Nicole opened the hotly anticipated anchovy bar, focusing on the sadly misunderstood anchovy alongside an array of sustainable seafood and handmade ingredients. And you all know that at St. Supreme we love sustainable seafood and we love to think about what's on our plate and what's in our glass. And Chef Stuart Briosa has really taken this to the next level, thinking about everything that's going on with sustainable seafood. And and Chef, each of your and Nicole's restaurants have a focus on sustainability, mostly, notably sustainable seafood. When did you develop this passion for sustainability and responsible sourcing? Because it's you have to really work at it.
1: <clears throat> um, well, Emma, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think sort of sustainability and responsible sourcing really kind of became the the residue of design when it came down to the restaurants. Um, you know, we, we wanted to find ways. I, I think State Bird really sort of set the template for us, um, where we kind of turned cooking on its ear um, through the lens of like kind of, we wanted to figure out a way kind of crack the code on how you can serve every bit and bobble of every plant or fish or animal that was coming through the door. Right. And, um, we, 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 kind of develop this unique system of, you know, passing food on trays and carts, which really gives you a lot of creativity and a lot of autonomy when it comes to product util- product utilization, right? Um, so think, uh, we roast turnips, for example, and we serve a beautiful little turnip dish. And then the greens become another dish, right? Where maybe we blanch them in dashi and then serve it with um, like an old Japanese kind of ohitashi style, um, you know. And so we, we are able to extend our ingredients and make multiple dishes that didn't require a printing of a menu right? Where we just put it onto a tray or a cart and then pass it around. And let's just say you have six orders of something. It just was, you could visually have a roaming menu through the dining room. And, you know, this just led to opportunities everywhere in in our world. And when you say specifically seafood, you know, we, we started to look at every piece of fish that we would bring in. And How do we really do something that's unique that um, showcases the whole fish, uh, but not necessarily serving the whole fish at one time, right? So I'll give you an example. Trout is a great example of this. Um, You know, we work with McFarland Springs Trout, which is a a very sustainable uh, uh, fish farming operation up in Shasta County. And the trout comes in and we are, you know, we fillet the, the, well, we, the way we cut it is, is that we kind of cut the head where it gives you the collars and a little bit of neck meat, right? Okay. And then we cut the tails where you've kind of cut up about three inches. So rather than filleting the fish from head to tail and serving somebody, you know, that tail piece, we're able to take the center cut pieces and still really give people a nice fillet of fish. But We have what we call, you know, fish parts and fish parts are everything else. So it's the belly, it's the tail on the bone, right? So it's a beautiful presentation. The belly as well has got the little, um, dorsal fin, uh, attached to it. You know, you're able to serve the collar. Um, and, and so all of this plays a significant role. And then what we do is we take the frames of those fish after we fillet them and we, we, Lightly cure them, salt them, we hot smoke them, we scrape the frames with a spoon and it comes off like butter, and then we make like a a fish dip, a smoked fish dip. So what we've gotten out of this dish is we've got one, two, three, four, five different dishes out of one fish um, that still allow equality amongst each of those dishes to to uh, their, their quality and equality of the fish to be retained. So you know I think Say Bird really lent itself and we took that philosophy as we continued with the other restaurants.
0: You know I think that's really interesting because when we think about our carbon footprint people don't think about the food waste and particularly in America what An enormous amount of food waste we have at home and um, and in restaurants. And that's really taking it just absolutely to the next level. I love that. Mm. It's wonderful. We have
1: we have a a mantra in the restaurant that it basically says that the the compost bin is a missed opportunity of a creative, uh, a, a missed creative opportunity. Um, So that's something that I like to think about when we're when we're working with food is, is that, you know, sure, we can compost. But is there an opportunity still within whatever that ingredient is that we could turn into something delicious um, and respectful and um, and, you know, get creative with it?
0: I love that. I, I my go to is always broth. And then the and then the compost yes. bit I'm, I'm the big broth maker but i clearly need to be a little bit more creative i know i can i can <laughs> do more. So yeah. you, you recently hosted an incredible dinner event at The Progress alongside Chef Kyle showcasing flash-frozen sustainable seafood from Sakana Blue. Many chefs use flash-frozen products for quality and traceability and, and reducing their carbon footprints and a lot of other factors. And what, what should chefs consider um, in selection and sourcing when moving to a sustainable seafood menu?
1: Mm. Well you know, I think really understanding and knowing the resource, um, the, the source of where the fish is coming from is, is imperative. You've got to do your homework. Um, in, in, in the case of Sakana Blue uh, and the event that we we did, um, I was doing my homework. I was learning a lot as we as we went along. Um, and particularly what I found interesting and fascinating was some of the technology that is being implemented uh, in, in the reduction of carbon footprint. Um, and, and much of that is, is the, the super freezing technology that I'm still a little a little gray on. Um, however, However, I think you know I understand the concept, which is, is it's taking a pristine product or a pristine sea, uh, seafood item, filleting, um, and sending only what is 100% edible. Right, you're not shipping heads and tails and bodies that are going to go into someone else's compost. Your, your, you know, they're shipping uh, fillets, so 100% utilization of the seafood item. Um, it's it's frozen at a at a very rapid rate to uh, a, a, a very low low temperature, something in the negative 30 to 50 degree temperature, and then rather than air fl- freighting, you know, they're they're uh, shipping via uh, boats and things that are we're really able to maximize uh, the 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 carbon footprint of the shipping costs. Right. The shipping. I'm sorry. The shipping means. Um, You know, I think as far as sourcing seafood, um, sustainable seafood is this is a tricky one. I think that there's a lot of information out there that um, is very misleading. Um, Words are used in ways that sort of maybe misrepresent the truth of seafood. Um, And this is something that has gotten blurrier as the years go on. And yet at the same time, I, I do believe that there are heroes out there who are truly trying to to uh, uh, kind of remove the gray area in this and and really have truth in seafood. Um, I, I guess you know Emma, the the question that I continually ask of my seafood purveyors is is where, how, when, you know, I'm 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 just like what are they feeding? When is it harvested? How is it caught? How you know? What's the catch like? Are we working within the regulations? Um, you know, and and I think in the U.S. we've gotten really good at managing fisheries for sure. Um, mm-hmm. It gets a little scary the farther away you go from from the U.S. Um, just the relationship with the oceans is much different, and the 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 areas of you know, um, sustainability are less important, right? Where quality of seafood still reigns supreme. And I think that we need to really retweak this question, right? We need to be looking at seafood through a sustainable lens, first and foremost. And quality should really be right there. I, I think that if it's if we're already going to the distance of harvesting and fishing sustainably, I imagine that, again, through that lens of design, that the quality would be absolutely imperative already. I think we just need to flip that conversation a bit. Um, many countries are all about the quality first, quality, 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 and, and Japan too. And, you know, and this is, this is a challenging conversation, I think, in the seafood world, and I do agree. I mean, quality absolutely, you know, has to right. be there. Um, it has to be there, but it also it's gotta it's gotta work within, you know, it's gotta be sustainable first, right? And it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be. Um, we we, we I, I think it comes down to species. Species kind of help determine sustainability, if you ask me.
0: Well yeah I mean when we talk about you know mollusks or you know any kind of bivalve and the benefit that they're adding to the ocean as well mm-hmm. through the filtration is is really important where we're getting into a restorative aquaculture versus just a sustainable aquaculture and I think that's that's an important component that we need to do but but also going back to this um flash freezing you know I've been reading about um pizzas being cryogenically frozen in 4 seconds right and then and and, and retaining this great flavor. And and I think, um, you know, perhaps the older um, that some of us are, the more that we have a negative association with frozen food and that oh frozen food today is so completely different. And that part of part of our job is to bring to our guests the reality of. Today's frozen food is actually your freshest and most sustainable option mm-hmm. in many cases, and I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious how you communicate that with with your team and and with your guests when you if you get pushback at all today.
1: Hmm. I don't I don't think that well I don't think we get pushback on serving any type of frozen seafood, um, and I think that. As chefs, it's our responsibility that we have to embrace this idea of frozen seafood um, and look at it as a as a as a sustainable tool and another another important um, like lesson that we can teach and be taught uh, from those who are doing incredible work in this area um, and that's that to me is fascinating. Um, I I. Um, you know, we do serve a small amount of frozen seafood and it really follows some pretty strict guidelines for me. Um, you know, right now uh, we use an albacore that's coming off of a small, uh, uh, it's basically a small boat that is fishing albacore and is able to make a living. I mean, I look at this as very important. Is is that the albacore season is short And they're able to fish the albacore and sell the albacore through the year uh, by this kind of really amazing freezing technology that they have and command a high price for that albacore versus that albacore going to the commodity market and being tinned or shipped out or turned into animal food or pet food or something like that. So I think that it's a respectful way. And this technology is at our fingertips, it's here. And so that's what's really fascinating. As far as customers go, you know, I think that they don't even know. <laughs> and nor do they need to necessarily if the food is good that's what's most important right, right. um and so it's not like it's something on our menu that was like you know here we go you know sustainably caught albacore uh previously frozen now um and and a smart diner would know and maybe ask the question is is albacore in season right now right okay right. and and um, you know, then that opens up a whole uh, you know uh, opportunity to educate and to talk about some of this freezing technology.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. We're not uh, we're not in the grocery store, but we need to ask that question when we're in the grocery store, and and rely mm-hmm. on our our chefs and our restaurateurs when we're when we're also dining out to be thoughtful. And I think that that's what's going to drive the the blue revolution is people being more thoughtful about what they ask. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it's not a sustainable product, not in season, then not ordering it. I think is. Yeah you know, understanding that and,
1: um, and asking. That's the question. That, how do you know this? That's the thing. It's, 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 you know, I think it's a constant, even as a chef who's in it every day, I'm always asking those questions and questioning the buying practices, you know, that we have, and they do evolve. Um, they have to evolve, right. And we have mm-hmm. to, we have to, you know, I I think I started cooking when you could have any fish at your doorstep, right? And anything from anywhere. And it wasn't about its providence, right? Or location that it came from. It was more or less like, look at how beautiful I've got. You know, I I remember cooking years ago in Chicago when we were working with rouget and sardines from the Mediterranean and Turbo from, you know off the coast of, of Brittany. And I remember like, wow, this is just the, we're so great that we have these incredible seafood items and I don't, you know, now that would not be the case, you know, at all. Um, and that was, that was not that long ago. I mean, that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Um Right. And that's not that long ago. Um, and I have very fond memories of Dover Soul on Fridays and, you know, Turbo Midweek and, you know, Rouge and Sardines and, you know, Skate Wing and Monkfish and just a plethora of, of abundance. And now it's it the abundance, I think, is really focused. It, definitely in California, we're, we're more in tune with. Um, You know, serving seafood that is coming from our waters uh, in the proper season, uh, fresh for sure, but finding ways to extend those seasons, um, whether it's through freezing technology or obviously things like curing or smoking um, of seafood as well.
0: Yeah, you also um, recently hosted a Seafood Stories, Know Thy Fisherman event at your space, the the workshop to benefit the fish revolution. Um, At the event, you featured a lot of sustainable seafood recipes and also the stories of the fishermen behind the seafood. And and your menu um, features a wide array of purveyors that uh, you select for their transparency and quality. And, you know, that's so important at the winery we're using or king salmon. Because we can trace every single fish, um, and that's the you know what we're using very often, unless we have a local sustainable source when it's in season. Um, what are areas that uh, that other chefs could consider in selection and sourcing when they're um, they're moving along? Um, how do you select those purveyors? Are there certain criteria that you're looking for?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that your purveyors become some of your best friends, right? When you're working with um, purveyors and, you know, you just listen, you ask a lot of questions. Again, you pepper every order with a lot of questions so that if you were asked these questions um, that you would you would have an answer for your customer or your waiter or your young cook who's just learning about seafood. You know, it's our responsibility to really to really to um, to 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 have answers to the questions that aren't asked, if that makes sense. Um, that's something that's really key. Um, the The other is is that I think that there you you had mentioned bivalves and mollusks. I think that you almost can't go wrong with oysters, clams, mussels, um, scallops, which is limited as far as scallop farming goes. Um, But these are, these are, I like to look at, they kind of fall into a category of net positive seafood choices, Mm -hmm. right? They're incredibly nutritious for you, right? We know this. Um, They're also, they're, they're farm raised. Uh, Very, very few are, are getting wild, right? But they're farm raised in the oceans requiring no food, right? The food is coming through phytoplankton um that is floating within the ocean uh it's time and it's good stewarding on the farmer's uh perspective and what these also do is is that they they improve the natural habitat in which that they're farmed in we see things like eelgrass in the estuaries we see we see small habitats and eelgrass is very important because it 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 promotes it it gives an uh, an environment for young seafood to lay their eggs, right? For crabs and shellfish to exist, uh, for birds and avian life, um, and it creates a kind of a full circle ecosystem, and that's just through the sort of filter feeding process of the of the uh, the shellfish. Um, so more and more, I think that you know, it's very important, and all of our restaurants have a pretty significant amount of shellfish in the form of mussels, clams, and oysters on the menu. Um, As people, you can never go wrong with this, right? Um, You just can't. Um, You know, in many shellfish farms, they work In conjunction with environmental groups. They work in conjunction with scientists who are studying marine biology. Um, Many of the farmers themselves are educated in in marine biology. So they're kind of at the forefront of what's happening, right? If, If their oyster production is going down for some reason, that's a big problem, right? So they're at the forefront. It's to their best efforts to make sure that all three of these categories are really, really closely monitored. Um, The next, as far as seafood, I really think it's imperative that, especially in the farmed seafood arena, is, is that there is a lot of interesting feeding processes that are happening out there. And, you know, perhaps, you know, one of the biggest challenges amongst farmed seafood is the fact that it requires so much wild seafood to feed the fish right Right. now fishermen, when they're farming when they're out fishing for wild seafood that goes into fish food it's commodity pricing and i think anchovies fall into this realm right and if you know I'm pretty fond of the anchovy. Um, I, I love the idea of eating from the, the bottom up of the, of the, of the food chain. Um, and anchovies, you know, for, for my anchovies, when they're in season, which that season is just about ready to begin, um, you know, we're paying upwards of $5 a pound for live seafood, right? Live anchovies uh, that come to my kitchen about two hours out of water. Um, now our, our, some of the other anchovy fishermen that are buying, that are fishing for, uh, food, right. To, to go into fish farming, they're selling, I think it's something like $250 per 500 pounds. right? Right. And it's being kind of boxed up shipped across the world going into some sort of tuna farming, and then that tuna is fattened up, and then it's shipped back across the world, right? So you kind of just do the math, you know, the carbon footprint math, the you know, how much we're pulling from the ocean, a valuable resource and selling it at commodity pricing, you know, that's a, that's a, that's an issue. So, you know, I'm really fond of when I'm reading articles and learning more about fish farming that relies more on algae based um, food, right. Um, that, you know, you know, where, where they're growing algae and then feeding a diet of, of algae, I think it really works. It, from a nutritive standpoint, and also the, the environmental standpoint um, on a, all levels, right? I mean, you can right. really dig deep and you can just kind of, you can go down that rabbit hole and learn so much. And this is a pretty newish concept, um, I would say in the last, you know, decade and a half or so, um, and expensive for sure, Um and requires resources, requires education. Uh, And I think we're seeing more of that now, which is is really a win-win.
0: But I think you you say expensive. It's expensive in the In the short term but in the long term it's not because um you we have to focus on those options that that are sustainable for the long-term solution and i think often um you know we have a lot of food waste because sometimes food is too cheap in in Mm -hmm. certain scenarios when we're not producing it in a thoughtful manner Mm -hmm. and i want to go back to you know when you were talking about the the grasses i think you know, what really struck me there is just the concept of biodiversity. And if we're gonna have any sort of restorative aquaculture, any sort of um, restoration of our oceans, we really need to focus on that biodiversity. And it starts with the grasses, the kelp, the smaller creatures growing and building that, that pyramid back up. And it's the same with what we do with restorative agriculture, right? It's how we treat our soil just like we have the plankton right. what what we have in that soil and what we're what we're growing and being thoughtful about in maintaining that balance and um where we see areas that are overfished there's there is no kelp there's no there's nothing in the ocean there and that's where we we've got to start at the as you say at the bottom of the food chain and bring it back up
1: right yeah and kelp, I think, is a, is a great example and a very renewable resource for the ocean. I mean, it's got, I don't know, I, I think I read recently, like, not, not just kelp, but sea lettuce in general is like a 35-day, like, sort of maturation process you know, uh, period, it's which really is nothing, right? I mean, that's a head of lettuce <laughs> when you think about that, right? Or a radish. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's just so, it's so like, that's exciting because you're like, oh, wait, we can really, you know, have a, an immense effect, um, you know, on, on the, the health of the oceans by, by farming and, you know, giving it, you know, providing opportunities, um, for the ocean to sort of rebound. Um, I, you know, I, I think, uh, y- <laughs> yeah, you're right. The It is a holistic approach, right? And, you know, I think to have good oyster farming, you have to have a really great, healthy environment, right? Um, you know, I love the saying, and, and, you know, I actually just said this to one of my cooks um, who who's spending a year with us from, from um, abroad, and, you know, I had just floated the idea that, you know, we focus on we are what we eat eats concept, right? And that's not new, but it's something that's new for a lot of people, right? It used to be you are what you eat, and now you are what you eat eats. And, you know, if your oysters are being farmed in a very healthy environment, right, where there's just a, a very holistic, you know, uh, environmental practice, Th- your oysters are going to taste better, they're going to look better, they're going to be, you know, they're they're going to be much more resistant to any sort of fluctuations in temperature and, you know, and tidal changes and things that that are real, right, and especially like heavy rainfall, right, I mean, you know, when there's heavy rainfall, we don't, we don't, We don't harvest oysters, right? Because you've got the change in salt levels, you've got the chain, you've got the runoff from, you know, uh, from the hills that are, are, are ocean side. Um, but you know, how do these, these oysters can continue to survive, right? Um, they just are, they've got to kind of get back to their normal levels. And, and so if you have a health, healthy ecosystem, those oysters are going to have a, a much higher chance of, of, of just you know, proliferating. And if they're doing well, so is everything else, right? Right. And vice, vice versa.
0: Yeah. Cause they're cleaning the water. I mean, it, it, and also, you know, I remember, you know, taking food microbiology in college and, and we would talk about oysters as being this high risk, um, you know, food group for, from a food safety perspective. And today the way that we farm oysters, I mean, that's just not a reality because you're, you know, using UV light to sterilize the water before the water goes through and does a final um, filtration. And, um, and you still have that mirror. That you're looking for, but you also have a, a completely different level of food safety than we used to have. Mm,
1: um, most definitely, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah. but let's go back to to seaweed a little bit because you do feature seaweed in a number of items on your menu. Um, uh, why is seaweed important to you from a flavor perspective as well as an environmental perspective? Mm.
1: Well, I think seaweed is is you know. From the California coast, I mean, I didn't grow up eating local seaweeds. Um, but you know, as I became, you know, as as seaweed became more uh, I, I guess harvested in ways that were abundance. Um, they became more and more appealing for sure. And I love, I mean, I just love the flavor of seaweed. I love what you can do with it. I love the fact that seaweed can be not only paired with, um, you know, seafood, of course, but I think it can also really, really lend itself well to like a surf and turf kind of. Um, kind of uh way of cooking and you know i'm you know i think seaweed is also it's it's incredibly nutritious uh so it's it's a win-win with seaweed right um and we use specifically nori off the mendocino coast um and it is wild harvested, and it's harvested. Essentially, the entire year's worth of harvest happens in about six weeks. That's coming up. It's mid-May through like the first week of June, or so. And that's kind of when the tide is low, the seaweed is is um, is at its largest. Um, and you know, I think it's it's just it's just an amazing ingredient. Um, we use it uh boy at all three restaurants in different ways, whether it's to flavor broths at uh, mm-hmm. Anchovy Bar, we use it for a whipped butter um that we that we simply serve with potatoes, steamed potatoes. Um at uh at Progress we'll do a, kind of a fermented vegetable seaweed uh broth that's uh paired with abalone and I think you know, with a farmed abalone, of course. Um, and abalone, obviously, it's, uh, it lives on a diet of seaweed, right? So, oh, yeah. um, so it's a nice way of, of, you know, kind of telling the full circle of, of the abalone's life, serving right. it with its, with its seaweed, um, its, its food. Um, you know, I think uh, we're going to see more and more seaweed in the future because of this this idea that we can um, that seaweed is a is a very renewable resource, and there's a lot more farming that's happening. As you were talking earlier about a friend of yours down in Southern California that's doing, it. I've seen it out of Monterey, you know, um, Monterey, and all the way up through Santa Cruz and Pescadero.
0: Yeah, I think it's an important component that we're um, there. We're growing more seaweed than we're taking out of the ocean. And Mm. that um, one of the things that Carlsbad Aquafarm is doing is they're um, specifically cultivating um, cultivars that are interesting. I think of it like, you know, we have all the varietals. Like we have varietals of wine, but then, you know, whether it's clone six Cabernet or, you know, the <laughs> specific clone of, of seaweed that you want. And they're really looking for flavor while having um, a, a big nod to ocean restoration. Um they okay. want, you know, it grows so fast that they want to have it um, available, but also um, restoring and, and reforesting um, okay. the ocean simultaneously so that you have a, a sustainable product. Um, Um, They're making uh, like uh, gummy bears with it. I mean, they're doing a lot of really fun things um, with seaweed.
1: I tasted tasted a very odd seaweed kind of uh, 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 thing the other day. That was I don't maybe it was like a like a little not a chocolate, but kind of like a a little uh, a little seaweed ball that was like flavored with dates. Kind of with a, you know, and it was, it was very, very strange too. Um, I don't know if everything I've tasted with seaweed is a hit, but um, it is fascinating. I mean, seaweed is definitely, it's, it's a, it's a very popular item right now. And you see it in the sort of food tech sector um, where anything goes, as long as it's got seaweed in it, (laughs) Um, you know, from a nutritive standpoint.
0: Well, and I think that that's where, you know, having um, people like yourself with great palates and, um, and a wonderful source of using uh, seaweed to try these different cultivars and provide um, that, you know, end market. And mm-hmm. and spread that, that word. I mean, I think that the customer, the guest has been changing. We all have been changing because we know more, right, than we mm-hmm. used to 25 years yeah. ago. We know the impact that we're having, and hopefully we're we're all changing our behaviors um to, to bring things back to where it is. But how do you um how do you see that change um in your guests and your staff training um mm-hmm. as we sort of move uh to hopefully the this restorative, sustainable farming situation.
1: Well, I think you know. I mean, as a chef, now that the employees, you know, we have you know around a hundred employees, both front of the house and back of the house, and you know, um, you know, there's a responsibility. You know, they're coming in at the current trend, right? Remember, I think back thirty years ago when I started, I was coming in to the current trend, and um, I'm sure you remember these days where organic produce would show up at your back door and it was bruised and it didn't always look great. It was, you know, it it was it was like, you know, the idea of organics, not just produce. I I remember specifically like organic bananas and it was like, oh, God, these are terrible. Um, You know, as far as a quality standpoint. And again, you know, kind of you you simulate that to you know, the quality aspect of, you know, seafood farming is like, everything is quality driven. And so we're working the opposite direction where it's very quality driven. And then the logistics follow, right? And I think that in the early organic farming, it was like the logistics were leading and the quality was, you know, it was challenged and that's changed drastically. I mean, I can't even imagine not buying organic small farm grown produce, you know, for the rest restaurants or my home, um, you know, we live on that. Uh, you know, it's like, hmm, you know, you you start to grade the organic quality. You're like, you know, I mean, there's a difference between organic kale grown from a small farm in the Cape Valley versus, you know, organic kale from big ag groups out of the Salinas Valley. Um, huge difference as far as your nutritive levels, right? Um, Going back, I got off topic there, going back to the the seafood and what changes I see, you know, I see really um, what's changing is what and what needs to change is kind of how seafood, what role it plays on the on the plate. Is it center of the plate or is it an, uh, an ingredient uh, uh, that's maybe equally dispersed with vegetables and other legumes and such? Um, you know, and that's how I'm really approaching the future of seafood is versus looking at center of the plate seafood. And we do have that, We just don't have as much anymore of the center of the plate seafood. You know, at at Progress, I run with um, we have you know six seafood items, and when I say items, you know that's like local halibut in the form of tartar. Um, We are using uh, uh, you know Alaskan halibut for like a grilled center of the plate fish item, but then we have clams. We have, you know, mussels. We have some of these other seafood items that are really important. Um, I think that it's moving away from that. Like our consumption level of seafood should be kind of, you know, we we need to do we need to reappropriate how we consume our pro- proteins, and that's not just seafood. That's meat as well. And restaurants are kind of in an odd spot because at the same time. People come to the restaurants for you know that nice six ounce fillet of fish or you know a big you know kind of bone in ribeye, you know. Um, but you know, it's a it's a challenge. I think when I look at a- anchovy bar, I look at anchovy bar where we don't really serve. We don't have an entree, right? We have lots of small seafood dishes. Um, That are, you know, paired with lots of vegetables, uh, which I love. And, um, you know, we really promote the sort of net positive uh, seafood items on our menu. And what I mean by net positive are things, you know, seafood that is doing, that's adding to the oceans versus just being taken from the oceans. And I think that that's where seaweed comes in, I think that's where oyster and shellfish farming comes in, and I think that's where like really smart sourcing of ingredients that maybe extend the season through technological advances such as freezing.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that that's a a really good correlation that you made between how um, our supply chain of organic produce um, is so far ahead of our supply chain of seafood, you know, Mm -hmm. because we we in the old days, it was a problem. We've addressed it. And I think we've just started addressing it a little bit better on the seafood Mm -hmm. side. You know, we. We have about 1200 heirloom fruit trees at the at the ranch Mm -hmm. here in Napa Valley, and we have 86 types of peaches and we can't deliver. We don't deliver those peaches outside of Napa Valley because they're going to be bruised. Right. We we deliver them to the to the winery and our local restaurants, but they're not going to make it to san francisco because you have to pick them and eat them that day because that's you pick them right. wipe and they're the reason they're not grown everywhere is because they bruise easily you, it's not right. a variety you can do anymore and we we have to think about that as part of our local conversation of what we're eating and drinking and um but also how do we um move things around and i think that's a lot of what we saw um in america growing a lot of food but maybe food with less flavor less nutrients because it was stable right Mm. and it can make it around the country and now people are asking for i don't want it to just be stable i want it to taste good i want it to be good for me and good for the environment and now how are you going to get it to me Mm. and and i think that's kind of true with with everything that we put put on our plate but um little sidetrack there. Sorry. (laughs) I
1: I couldn't agree more. I I heard this really great term uh, recently, um, you know, on a, on a pod, another podcast, a a health podcast. Um, And I love it. It's called NutriVore. Right. And the idea is, is like, you know, is is that you're eating food for for those reasons you're eating food for nutrition trying to maximize your nutrition and i think that's going to be a fascinating topic in the future i think as people are like you know like like organics of 30 years ago you know it was like how do we how do we get it how do we kind of apply the good better best idea of raising you know, vegetables, and how does that also apply to, you know, uh, raising, you know, uh, animals, and obviously, how does that apply to um, seafood? It's essentially everything that we're eating, and, you know, food is fuel, and food is nutrition, and, you know, you can eat, you know, I I go back, I use kale because that seems like the most basic, but kale is, you know, are you, are you getting everything you need out of that kale? You know, um, you know, our soils have been so depleted of magnesium and that is such an important (laughs) ingredient in our, in our world and our, that keeps us very healthy um you know but if you're eating kale which should be magnesium rich um, but it's been depleted of its soil again you are what you eat eats if the kale is grown in subpar soil then you are uh you're 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 only ingesting what it's ingesting right? right um and I think that that's a very interesting kind of direction. And I hope that more of this is focused on, um, you know, on, on food consumption in the future.
0: Yeah. Um, gosh, this has just been great chef. Um, is there anything else I should have asked you that, uh, mm-hmm. you, you want to share, you know, cause I, I often get off topic here. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. You know, I, I think, um, we talked a little bit about anchovies and maybe I should put a little plug in for anchovies because I think, um, you know, this is a really, it's an interesting topic to me. Um, and, and has been for the last 15 years. Uh, you know, I, I, anchovies are, they're a small fish, right. And they're very, uh, I suppose, uh, debatable you know right we we grow up you know as kids and anchovies are a pizza topping and you know one kid at the party at the birthday party says ew anchovies and then all the kids say ew anchovies and that's kind of like that kind of like wait you eat anchovies oh you're gross you know it's you know it starts at a young age (laughs) and and I think that that has like been so uh You know, that is just really not done well for the public, uh, the PR department of anchovies. So I'm trying to, you know, (laughs) I'm looking at anchovies as kind of the future of food in so many ways. And, you know, I, the Bay Area, San Francisco, we have a very um, long history of anchovy farming. Uh, I'm sorry, anchovy fishing. Um, these are not farmed fish. Um, we have a very healthy, abundant stock of anchovies, and you know the reason for that is is that you know we just don't eat anchovies, right? And um, but they do reproduce they are local and for about 6 months out of the year from April through November we have fresh anchovies in our backyard which is amazing um, you know in San Francisco there's one fisherman just one who who raises who fishes anchovies and he sells he's the bait fish guy right so he sells to all the fishermen who are going out and doing, you know, rod and reel fishing, and these fish, uh, anchovies, are bait for halibut, rock cod, black cod, salmon, um, you know, uh, uh, souls, uh, you know, petrale sole, sand dabs. These are all like, you know, this. This is a, a very important ecosystem for San Francisco. And years ago, I got to learn of how the anchovies were coming to us. And I focused on the logistics of anchovies, because every hour that an anchovy is out of water, it's a small fish, it's going to naturally break down quicker. And so I set out on this mission to change the way anchovies were delivered to restaurants. And this started years ago when I was at Rubicon and it was just by paying attention. And one day my anchovies arrived, albeit very late in the day. um, And they were perhaps maybe the best anchovies I'd ever seen. They were like in pre rigor mortis, right? They hadn't even gone through the stiffening um, of the fish. You know that that we think is, of as is such a high quality. Uh, um, and you know, I remember talking to my purveyor at the time of like, well, what happened here? Why are my fish so much better? I mean, not just incrementally better, like night and day. And the fish that we had been receiving before were were good, but sometimes the bellies would be blown out. They'd start to kind of, you know, they do have a strong aroma when they start to break down but these anchovies were completely different. Um, These, when I opened up the, the, the bag that they were packed in, you know, you could hear the seagulls in the distance, right? You smelled the ocean spray, you know, it just was unbelievable. And so I set out to like really change that. And over the last, you know, I don't know. Decade or so, that's definitely happened. As with local consumption of anchovies and restaurants, um, you know, I think ten years ago we were at about fifteen percent. we going to the wholesale market. Right. Or the retail market. Um, uh, now, Eric is up at about 30 to 35 percent, which is impressive. Um, and so I think anchovies is a lot to learn in anchovies is don't judge a book by its cover. Number one is, is that, you know, we have with the anchovy bar and over the years at State and Progress have changed people's perception on anchovies by just really focusing on how the anchovies come to us and, um, and how we prepare them, right? Anchovies are incredibly fresh. You want to pair them with something equal or even fresher than the anchovy. So I think of like a perfect heirloom tomato that you're picking from the garden, you're slicing and you throw, you know, and you serve it with fresh anchovies. Um, you know, something along those lines. So, it, you know, for me as a chef, anchovies have truly changed how I look at the food system and what's important uh, in our food system. I would gladly take an unbelievably fresh anchovy uh, over any other seafood at this point. Um, in, 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 uh, and I hope others will really find this uh, love with little salted fish.
0: I I'm looking forward to anchovy season starting and being at the anchovy bar, um, in San Francisco and, um, and seeing you there. And, you know, again, the, the anchovy story is again, about, supply chain right it's getting it there at its freshest point and um and changing our our perception which is just um just great well um chef it was fantastic to have you with us today thank you so much for your insights it was wonderful to to chat with you and uh thank you everyone we look forward to joining uh you again next month and talking a little bit more about sustainable seafood